So Money Episode 433, financial blogger Jim Collins. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Hey, just want to say thank you to everybody who has been leaving really kind reviews on iTunes. Totally unsolicited. I haven't asked for reviews in a while, but I guess some of you uh, felt strongly enough, passionate enough to write some kind words about the show. And I just want you to know how thankful I am because it's really this sort of stuff that um, helps keep this show in the limelight. iTunes really likes to see podcasts that are getting love and will, as a result, give your podcast a little bit more spotlight in the iTunes store. And if you go now to iTunes, you'll see that uh, So Money is in the What's Hot section. And some of that has to do with uh, the reviews. So thank you very much to everybody who's done that. I, I can't thank you enough. Today's guest is Jim Collins. If you're a follower of financial bloggers, you might know who this is. Jim is a prolific financial blogger who started writing more or less in retirement. In 2011, he began by writing a series of letters to his daughter about money and investing so that she could learn what worked and what didn't. You know, he talked openly about his mistakes. We talk frequently on this show about, you know, our memories from childhood and the one thing we wish we had learned about money growing up. And Jim understands the importance of teaching your kids good financial lessons. And in that process of writing to his daughter, he created a gateway to financial independence for her. And so I'm curious to find out where she is today. And at the suggestion of a colleague, Jim created a blog where he posted those letters so they could also benefit his other friends and family members. And the blog is jlcollinsnh.com. NH stands for New Hampshire, where he lives. Now, fast forward to today. The blog has become a go-to for people all over the world who want financial wisdom. And Jim has a new book out called The Simple Path to Wealth. And he's taken the ideas and concepts from the blog and crafted them into a roadmap for readers. So we're going to talk to Jim about, you know, where is his daughter today? How have how has he influenced her? His top investment pick of all time. He's very passionate about this. And is the path to wealth really simple? Here we go. Here's Jim Collins. Jim Collins, welcome to So Money. 
Our paths have crossed a number of times. We've both been to FinCon. We're both in this personal finance space. You came recommended, highly recommended, from a previous guest on this show, Darrow Kirkpatrick. And we have mutual friends, Mr. Money Mustache. So welcome to the show, friend. I'm sorry it's taken a while for me to catch up to you and have you on the show. Well, thank you so much, uh, Farnoosh. It's an honor to be here. And it's, as you mentioned, you and I have have met, we haven't spent as much time together as as certainly I would have liked. So uh, it's fun to uh, get to do this with you. You've been in this space for a while and and many other personal finance blogging celebrities like Mr. Money Mustache, and they really look up to you as as someone who really paved the way, excuse me, somebody who um, has a very uh, attractive voice in this space that can sometimes feel very dull and uh, boring. I'll just say it. How do you think you differentiate like what's when you think about your brand and i put that in big air quotes in this personal <laughs> finance space how would you articulate your specialty and what sets you apart you know i'm glad you put that in air quotes because maybe one of the answers to that is i i don't think of it as a brand i am by and by the way that's high praise indeed um, and i appreciate uh, your kind words there the origin of, of my blog is kind of an interesting thing. I, in 2011, uh, I started writing a series of letters to my daughter, who was at the time in college, and they were about money and finance and investing and things that I wanted her to know that she wasn't quite prepared to hear, and I wanted to make sure the information was there. And I shared these with a colleague who said, you know, this is pretty interesting stuff, Jim. You ought to got to really put this on a blog and, and send it around to your friends and family. And that's, by the way, the reason my blog is doesn't have a cool financial name like Mr. Money Mustache or Afford Anything. or It's, you know, it's, it's my name because I wanted the friends and relatives to know who was sending this to them. And so I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. I had heard of blogs, but I joke, but it's the truth, that the first blog post I ever read was the first one I wrote. And so I, I went to WordPress and it's pretty simple. And I put together this blog and I started organizing these things that I'd written for my daughter. And of course, my friends and relatives didn't read it. But over time, I developed the international audience I have now. And Mr. Money Mustache uh, and some others have been very generous in their, in their praise of my work and particularly what's come to be known as the stock series on the blog. And, and uh, they, they uh, connect with it. I was talking to uh, the Mad Scientist, who's another brilliant financial blogger out there, and who, sh- if you haven't interviewed him already, should be on your show. The Mad Scientist? The Mad Scientist. Scientist. I like that already. Yeah, I will. I'll get Sophia on that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll ask her to remind me, and I'll, and I'll send you an introduction or send her an introduction. That's cool. I like his title. But I was saying he does brilliant work. But he and I were talking yesterday, and... Uh, he said, you know, I don't even bother in the investing side. I just I just link to your stock series. <laughs> <laughs> and so and that's coming from a guy like that or coming from from uh, the likes of Money Mustache. That's high praise indeed. But I never set out to create a brand. And all I set out to do was to give information to my daughter. And I'm still a little stunned that other people find it of interest and are following along, and I'm, I'm honored by that. And I'm thrilled when I get emails and comments on the blog where people say, 
you've changed my life. I, you know, I'm, I'm retiring years sooner than I would have otherwise. I, you know, I have a whole different, the, perhaps the biggest compliment I get, at least in my own head, is when people say, you know, Jim, for the first time, this investing stuff really makes sense. You, you make it understandable to me. Mm-hmm. And that was the target because my daughter has better things to do with her life than fool around with investing. She knows it's important. She wants to get a few key things right. And then she wants to be done with it and, and move on. And that's kind of who I write for. Well, I'm, I'm, as you're speaking, I'm on your website and I'm looking at your stock series. And it is, I'm looking forward to diving further into this. I think that uh, there's a lot of mixed messages out there about how to invest. Uh, what's your philosophy? What's your overarching philosophy on investing? And you said you've been investing since 1975. Right. You know, I, I, I have, and, and that philosophy has changed over the years. And, and the core of it and the core of, of, of the book uh, that I have out now, the new book I have out, which is The Simple Path to Wealth, is that the most powerful thing that you can do investing is also the most simple. And it's what you have to pay the least attention to. And that's simply index investing. If you buy the total stock market index fund, and I like Vanguard's, which is VTSAX, that's the most powerful wealth building tool that's short of putting your own sweat equity into it and something like real estate or building your own business. But as a pure investment, that's the most powerful wealth building tool that you can invest in. And it's also the lowest cost and requires the least effort. And I say to my daughter and by extension to my blog audience and now my, my book readership, when you are working and you are saving money that you're then investing, that cash flow smooths the volatility of stocks because stocks, while they're very powerful in terms of building wealth, it's also a wild ride. And so you want to have something that smooths that ride. And when you're working, you are in the wealth accumulation phase, as I put it, and that ongoing flow of money from from your earned income is what smooths the, the volatility of stocks and actually makes that volatility work for you because when the stocks plunge, as in the market, you can, you can be guaranteed, periodically will plunge and nobody can predict that. Your continued investment takes, it takes advantage of that. So for my daughter, who's in her mid-20s now, to say you want to buy VTSAX and you want to put as much money in it as you can, whenever you can, and don't worry about it otherwise. Just let it ride. Now, when the time comes that your portfolio is going to be supporting you and you don't have that earned income flow to smooth the ride, you want something else to smooth the ride. And at that point, I suggest you add uh, the total bond market index fund, which is VBTLX, and bonds serve the function of, of smoothing the ride to stocks. And what the allocation percentage will be between those two is really a function of, of your risk tolerance. The more stocks you have, the more powerful your growth over time will be, but the wilder the ride. The more bonds you have, the slower the growth, but the smoother the trajectory. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm actually looking at your nine basics in the simple path to wealth. Um, And the first one, interestingly enough, is about your partnership. And you say, avoid fiscally irresponsible people, never marry one or otherwise give him access to your money. (laughs) 
remember I'm writing this for my daughter. And, yes, and, right. And amen to that. Amen to that. But, you know, honestly, so many financial <laughs> opposites attract. It's actually been academically proven that, you know, we say opposites attract. It is also true in your financial uh, relationships that you tend savers, marry spenders and vice versa. How do you work through that? I mean, love is love conquers all, right? Or not. I don't know. <laughs> well, What's your take answer, on that? The answer to that is or not. And I am not, before we go any further, I should say categorically, I am not a, an expert in relationships. But from what I understand, the single biggest area of conflict in marriage is is money, is, is yes. finance. So you're right. Opposites attract. I, I, for instance, have been married for 34 years. And my wife is from Zanzibar. It would be hard for us to be more opposite. But on money, we're on the same page. By, by the way, that was just a stroke of luck. I was not nearly smart enough to, to follow the advice I would give my daughter, which would be to have the financial conversation early on and before the marriage. I wasn't that smart, and, and it didn't occur to my wife. Um, and maybe on a subliminal basis, when we were dating, we had a sense that that we were both financially responsible, but it was never a conversation. So in a sense, I just got really lucky. But for me to be married to somebody who had starkly different views on money and spending and investing uh, would be extraordinarily difficult and, and difficult enough that it might overshadow the other attractive attributes of the marriage. So I, I, I have no idea what to say to somebody who's in a relationship where that is a, that is a conflict. How's your daughter doing today fiscally? Well, she's in the Peace Corps. So she's, she's making almost no money. Um, she's doing well fiscally in, in the sense that, um, she's, she's frugal. She doesn't, she doesn't squander money on, on silly things. Um, and that bodes well for her future when she's out of the Peace Corps and, and working in the part of her, her career that will generate more, more money and more cash flow and, and what have you. One of the worst things that, that young people do, especially as they come out of college and they get that first job and maybe they're making some pretty good bucks for the first time in their life and immediately their lifestyle inflates. And immediately they're spending lots, lots of money because they have money that they've never had before. And in terms of your long-term wealth building, that's, that's the kiss of death because it becomes a, a trap that once you enter it is very, very difficult to come out of it. So when I look at my daughter, I, I don't see any of those traits in her. So I, I think while she doesn't have the cash flow to begin building her wealth at this point, uh, she does have, uh, I think, the right attitudes in terms of how to deal with money. Money is an interesting thing. You know, most people think of money simply in terms of of what you can buy with it. If you say to the, to a, if you survey a, a group of people and you say, if a magic genie gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Well, nine out of ten, maybe nine point nine out of ten people would say, well, you know, I'd buy a new car and I'd buy my mom a house and I'd buy myself a house and I'd buy and I'd buy and I'd buy because that's the only framework they have for thinking about money. People who become wealthy think about money in a profoundly different way. 
And their response to that would be something along the lines of what my response would be. Would, if a magic genie gave me a million dollars, it would go into VTSAX. And if I were in the wealth building <laughs> that's state. That's the Vanguard. That's the uh, Vanguard total stock index, index fund. Right. If I were at the wealth building stage, I would let it ride and it would reinvest dividends and I'd add to it. How did you if learn I, about all this, Jim? I mean, did you have a, a natural interest in this, uh, an instinctive passion, or someone gave you all this wisdom? How did you become so confident and, and, and uh, correct in your financial life? You know, there, there, there's really two questions, I think, in what you've asked is, is one, where, where does the instinct to pursue this come from? And then how did I get to where I am today? So answering the second one first, um, I heard somebody comment the other day that the definition of an expert is somebody who has made every possible mistake in a given area, in a, <laughs> in a given field. And so if I have any expertise in the area of investing, it is because I have made just about every possible mistake you can make, including resisting the idea of index funds for, oh, I first came across the idea in, I want to say, the mid-80s, and I resisted them for at least a decade and, and probably more. Um, as to where the 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 initiative or the origin to be interested in it and to pursue it uh, came from, I, you know, I've given that some thought and my father um, had a, um, he was a manufacturer's rep. He was worked for himself and he made a pretty good living uh, up until the cigarettes caught up with him and he contracted an emphysema, which kills you very slowly, but it debilitates you as it goes along. And as his health failed, his business failed. And as his business failed, our, our lifestyle collapsed. And so to me, having money represents security. It represents freedom, um, whether it's security from what happened to, to my dad or whether it's the freedom to step away from a job that's just not working for you. Because if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're a slave. And some people say that that's a harsh word, but it's an accurate word. So I think the the drive that I had to become financially independent, although when I started on the path, there was no such term, but at least that I was aware of. But it was that drive to be financially free and and to be some secure from the from the kinds of risks and traps that that, that uh, caught up my dad. How has your financial life and the security you have established supported you in tough times, personally? Well, you know, I, I have a uh, a post on the blog. It's one of the first ones I ever did. It's called "Why You Need Fu Money," and um, I wrote it in in uh, well, it was one of the first ones I I, I did. So I wrote it probably around 2011. But in it, I tell the story of shortly after 9-11, and I was still working in my career at that point, uh, I got let go from the best job I ever had. And ironically, uh, we had just finished um, the most dramatically up year you know, in, in history. And the president of our division had taken me out to lunch over a fine bottle of wine. We were talking about the great future 
that I had, what have you. And then 9-11 happened, and this was in the tech business, and everything collapsed. And, and six months later, I was on the street, and I was sitting, but I wasn't overly concerned because I had a few money. I was financially independent. And one afternoon, I was sitting on the couch with my daughter, and she was, I don't know how old she would have been, like 10, 11, something like that at the time. And we're watching the news, and there's pictures on the news of all, because a lot of people lost their job. And back in those days, it was a tough time. And there's pictures on the news of all these unemployed people standing in some long line for something. And my daughter had registered at some point, you know, that daddy wasn't working anymore. And the newscaster's talking about all these people who aren't working anymore and how desperate their situation is. And she turned to me and she said, daddy, are we poor? And, um, at that point, it really crystallized to answer, you go back to the answer I gave you earlier, why I had invested the effort, the time and the money to put myself in the position I was in. So I could say, you know, no, daddy's not working, honey, but we've got money that's working for us instead. Do you think kids can really understand financial concepts at a young age? What sort of concepts can they really grasp and what are just too abstract? You know, that, that's a great question that I, I don't really have the answer to because, frankly, I messed up with my own daughter. I Because I think this is Why so... Why do you say that, though? She sounds like she has a really strong head on her shoulders, and most parents wouldn't have done half the education that you provided to her. Well, well here's, here's what... First of all, thank you. And, and I think, you know, people have complimented my daughter almost since the day she was born, and she is a remarkable kid. And I, every parent says that, but 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 other people say that about uh, about our daughter. And I think probably the best thing I did was just to stay out of the way. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've come to the conclusion that there's relatively little that parents can do to positively uh, influence their children. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. But there's a lot a parent can do to have a dramatic negative impact. You can absolutely destroy your child. That's pretty easy. And all too many parents go down that path and most of them inadvertently, but down it nonetheless. I think it's much, much harder to positively influence them. But going back to the money thing, um, because I think if, if you, if you understand money and you understand investing and you how to, in this modern world of ours, there is no more powerful tool than money. And if you don't 
make it, if, if you don't master it, it will master you. You will be its slave. And if you do master it, the, the freedom it gives you and the independence it gives you and the range of options it opens up are so dramatic that obviously I wanted that for my daughter. Mm-hmm. And the mistake I made is I, I pushed it too soon and too hard, and I think I kind of turned her off. And now that she's an adult, she's kind of coming around. And mm-hmm. as I said earlier, she's got a solid head on her shoulder. But, you know, she's not – I would I would like it if she was enthralled with this stuff as I am, but it's not where she wants to spend her time. And actually, that was an epiphany for me. She came home from college one day. And I started up the conversation about money yet again. And she stopped me and she said, you know, dad, I get it. I know this is important. I just don't want to have to think about it. Come on, dad. Stop it. (laughs) But that was an epiphany, Farnoosh, because I sat back and I said, you know, she's right. I'm the odd one out. I mean, people like us, you and I and, and some of the bloggers we mentioned, who who are enthralled with this financial stuff, we're the odd ones out. The vast majority of people have more important things to do. They want to go cure diseases and build bridges and negotiate treaties and and work on human rights, which is my daughter's thing. And and you know, they don't want to be involved with this investing thing. And but yet if they get just a couple of things right. And this is what I talk about on the blog and now in the book. If you get a couple of things right, my daughter and people like her can set it up, set it and forget it and get enormously powerful results while they're going off doing the things that they, they really want to do. I was I was talking to, um, uh, well, actually, I, I don't think you'd mind if I shared it. I was talking to the mad scientist yesterday and and he's as i said earlier he's a brilliant guy and well worth reading but he was telling me about how yeah you know i got some i got some cash and i it belongs in the market but i'm, I'm just kind of holding off because maybe the market will pull back well that's that's a critical mistake because nobody knows what the market's going to do i i understand the media is filled with people that are telling you they know what it's what it's going to do but they don't. Nobody does. They, they, and if anybody did, they'd be more famous than Warren Buffett and a hundred times richer. So nobody knows what the market is going to do. It's a classic mistake that this brilliant guy is making, but he's making it because he's so involved with it. And it's so tempting to think, maybe I see something here when you're really kind of fooling yourself. And I say that because I spent 40 years thinking, maybe I see something here. Right. <laughs> And I've had enough experience to know every now and again I'm right, but a lot of the time, I wasn't really seeing anything. So, when did you have your aha moment that I'm not seeing anything? I mean, when did you wake up to that ultimately? I don't know that there was an aha moment, but there was a a, a television program uh, called Wall Street Week, uh, hosted by Louis Rukeyser, who sadly has passed away because. He was a, a brilliant commentator on, on this stuff. And every Friday evening, he would, he would host a program about the stock market and what had happened, in the, as he would say, in the week just past. And it was a half-hour program, and he'd open with a, an initial commentary on the market and whatever, whatever struck his fancy. And then the second part of the program was an interview, and he'd always have three different guests. And the guests were always different, rotating 
uh, panel, but they were all lions of Wall Street. I mean, highly respected, highly educated uh, uh, authorities on, on the market. And I loved watching this program. But what was striking is that all of these, these impeccably credentialed experts would come along and confidently predict what the market was going to do, and they would contradict each other. You know, I mean, on the same day, you know, somebody is saying, absolutely, you know, based on what's been happening and looking at my charts and the stars and whatever, the market's going up next week. And the next panelist would say, you know, the market's going down. And the third one would say, yeah, the market's going to just kind of, kind of be in a holding pattern. And, and ultimately one of them would be right because the market is going to do something. And if you look at the broad swath of people, predicting things on Wall Street, they are predicting every possible thing that might happen. So clearly somebody is going to be right. And of course, then they're lionized as having some kind of some sort of insight that that uh, the rest of us wish we had. And that's kind of like saying, oh, uh, look who won Powerball. They must know how to pick winning Powerball numbers. Let's let's listen to them pontificate on how to pick winning Powerball. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> they got lucky. You know, every possible Powerball combination had been selected by somebody. Somebody was going to win. It doesn't mean that they know anything about picking Powerball numbers. No, although some people swear they can see numbers, you know, like I woke up and I dreamt of five, three and six and I played those numbers and I won, you know, I won the lottery. Hey, absolutely. And and anybody who is in the business of predicting uh, the stock market, if they're lucky enough to be right, um, they're not going to attribute it to luck. They're going to attribute it to their infinite skill and, and, and expertise that, that nobody else has. And they might actually believe that, but that doesn't mean, mean that they're right. And you'll notice there are very, very few people who can, who can, um, continually do that, who can continually predict it. Even Warren Buffett, who is arguably the best investor probably in history. Nah. Makes- Makes no claim. Well, I know <laughs> you've met me. I'm being sarcastic. You've met me now, so. But I mean, he doesn't make any claims to predict the market. Uh, in fact, he's he's uh, um, said at one point, and I've got a paraphrase because I don't remember, but he said, you know, you look at, at the last century, and in 1900, the market started at, I don't know, 600 and something, and it ended at 11,000 and something. Wow. Said, you know, how do how do you not make money in a market that does that? And the answer is, and this is Warren Buffett answering, is people try to dance in and out of it. Yeah, yeah. And you try to predict it. Nobody can do it, and it's a loser's game. It's I have one of the posts in the stock series is why do people, why do most people lose money in the market? And yet, so many people make money throwing darts. Well, they don't make money throwing darts. What they make money... Yeah, they do. They, you, they get paid no matter whether you win or lose. I'm oh. talking about some financial advisors. Oh, right. Oh, absolutely. You can you can make... A, if you can convince people that, that you have the formula, right? Uh, you can make a ton of money. If, uh, you know, instead of writing this, this blog and, and pointing out what really works, which is simple index investing, which is also the least expensive way to invest... Uh, you know, I should be putting together an advisory newsletter and claiming that I have a magic formula and, and I'd certainly make a lot more money. And problem is that, and I blame my mother for this. She instilled this damn conscience in me. <laughs> ah, that conscience. 
I know it's it's gotten in the way of my of my wealth building, but uh, yeah. So nobody can really do that, and if you try, you're you're you've set yourself on a path of of failure and and uh, and hardship. What's paid off more for you, real estate, stocks, investing in this blog? What would you say is the best investment you've ever made? Well, let's start with the blog and say that. There is there is no money in the blog. I mean, I, I uh, the blog uh, covers its expenses. I, I uh, you might make money this year actually, but so there's certainly. And I didn't start the blog as a money making venture, so I'm not particularly worried about that. And and uh, well, maybe not on a you know on a dollar basis, but the blog is going to live on. It's going to be the legacy, you know. And so in that ways, it's it's immeasurable value. Well, I think no. I, I think there's great value in it. It just has not been a a money profitable, producer. right? Right. And, and and that was never my intention. As I say, I launched it as a as a means of of basically storehousing this information I wanted for my daughter, and and now it's taken on a, a large. Now we're all consuming it. And well, not not everybody, but but you know. Oh, yeah. One interview at a time. This, this, this podcast is going to break your website, I'm pretty sure. No, <laughs> Brace yourself. Well, Jim. actually, I've got, I have some great tech support now. That's the other thing is the blog has grown. The cost of maintaining it has grown. So, um, you know, it's it's a couple of years ago I had to figure out, because I was willing to do this without making money. I'm not willing to do it out of pocket, having to pay out of pocket. So I, I... You know, I try to monetize it at least to the extent that it covers its expense. But to answer your question, um, I fooled around with real estate when when I was much younger, and uh, stocks have certainly been far and away in my life the most powerful uh, wealth builder that I've had, and they're the way that I reached financial independence. Real estate can be very very powerful, but I I think where people get a little bit confused is that if you're investing in real estate, it is a hybrid of an investment and a job because in, in a real estate investing requires a lot of your time and effort. Now you can hire property managers and what have you, and you can mitigate the amount of time. But once you begin hiring people, you have to manage the people that you've hired. And that's just a, a different kind of demand on your time. So investing in index funds really takes a very, you need to take a little bit of time to read my book or the blog or, or some of the other, some of Jack Bogle's great books on, on index investing. And, and then you do it and you set it up and you're done. Um, so real estate can be more powerful in terms of returns because you're adding your sweat equity into it. And typically people will leverage real estate. And of course, leverage can can magnify returns, but sometimes people lose track of the fact that leverage is a two-edged sword. And when you leverage something, uh, you have the potential of of enhancing your returns, but you also have the potential of of um, having a much harder downside if things move against you. Well. That is true. And your book is called "The Simple Path to Wealth." Once again, for listeners and. We're going to do something fun now. We're going to do some so money fill in the blanks. And was it fun so far? What's that? You mean this wasn't fun so far? It was, um, I'm saying (laughs) a light, 
Well, yeah. we just talked about how, I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm just playing. But yeah. No, no, no. This has been really insightful for me. I've been smiling the whole time. If only you could see my face, James, I swear to well, God. Me too. It's been a lot of fun for me, which is, is why I made my, my silly comment just now. But go ahead. Please. Okay, cool. So this, um, you're a listener of the show. So you probably know we do this sometimes at the end where I start a sentence and the guest finishes it. And I think you'll like this first one because we mentioned it earlier about winning the lottery and well, you know, getting a, what to do with a huge lump sum of cash. So fill, fill in this blank. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do, notice I didn't say buy, but the first thing I would do is. Oh, I, I put it in VTSAX and. Really? At this, all of it? Oh, absolutely. I would, I would put a hundred percent of it in VTSAX and I am at the, the, uh, Wealth preservation stage, I am currently living on my portfolio. I'm fully retired. As we discussed, the blog doesn't make any money. So I, yeah, I would, I would invest it. And now I would, I would draw down on it. If I were younger, I would invest it and just let it ride, but using the 4% rule, which real briefly says that, that you can, there's been research called the Trinity study done on this. And I have a couple blog posts on it that people want the details, but, Basically, it says that in the vast majority of scenarios, you can pull four percent of your portfolio and and uh, do that indefinitely, and it will support you. So, if you gave me a hundred million dollars, I would say thank you. I would put it in BTSAX, and I would have four million dollars a year to spend. And, and that's yeah. And then what would you do? Would you change your lifestyle at all? You know, probably, probably not. I, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm in a position where the, there's really nothing I want that I can't have. Now, let me put in a caveat. My wants are very few. I mean, I've just never been somebody who wants a fancy car or a fancy house or a mansion or that sort of thing. So that's a caveat that, that you know, my part of the keys of wealth, it's not just how much money you have, it's how much money you need. And it's the balance of those two things. So going back to that 4% rule. So if you need $100,000 a year to spend and you have a million dollars, you don't have enough to retire because a million dollars is only going to throw off 40000 a year. You need $2.5 million. Now, if you need $100,000 a year to spend and you have $5 million, well, you're, you've got twice what you need. So it, it's it's not just a raw number of how much you have. It has to be put in context of, of how much you you spend. So I, I guess with a hundred million dollars, one of the things that I don't have that, that I would like to have, and that I would need a whole lot more wealth to have than than I than I than I have, would be I'd, I'd love to be able to fly private. I don't think I want to own a plane. I want to. Especially own. now with these ridiculous yeah, lines in the airport. TSA needs to. So, and I think, uh, I think I forget the name of the company, but there are companies where you don't actually own the plane, but NetJets you buy it. And, NetJet, exactly. Right. So I would do a NetJet kind of thing, but that, that requires a but level. you could probably one. just buy your own plane at that point. Yeah, but I wouldn't want my own plane because I don't like to own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I would. I would much rather do a NetJet kind of thing and let them worry about maintaining the plane. So that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but it's good. I like I like all the steps we went through. Yeah. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is 
One thing I you know I, that's a that's a tough one because um, my life is pretty easy. <laughs> I, I think probably the thing that has made my life the easiest is when I sold the house three years ago. And we're now back to, you know, our, our daughter was grown and out of the house and, and we've gone back to being renters. And, uh, I don't know if you saw the video I did. It's, it's, uh, based on the John Goodman bit in the movie, The Gambler, where he talks about having a few money. So it's a little profane. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things I say is, um, imitating John Goodman is don't buy a bleeping house. Uh, who needs the headaches? Let the landlord worry about fixing the bleeping toilets. So, <laughs> yeah, having a landlord to fix the bleeping toilets has made my life a lot easier. So, you never owned a home, or you've just recently? Oh, I owned house, houses yeah. for, for thirty years. I but at but, this stage in your life, you don't want to own. Yeah, see, I I'm not a big fan of houses. In fact, I uh, one of the most. Uh, uh, well-read uh, posts on my blog is titled Why Your House is a Terrible Investment. And it has gotten me both the most love and the most hate of anything I put up. I see houses as an expensive indulgence. And if you can afford them and it's an indulgence you want, then by all means buy a house. And as I say, I am not opposed to owning houses. I own them for 30 years. The first one we bought before my daughter, well, first ones I bought were investment real estate, but that's a different story. But the first single family house we bought uh, was before our daughter was born. And and uh, we happened to find this century house that we really loved. And we decided we wanted to own it. And so we bought it. And then our daughter was born. And when we moved to New Hampshire, we went looking for a house in the school district, the community school district we wanted. Uh, but we could afford to do that. You know, we, we but if you're on the path to building your wealth, you want to think long and hard about buying a house at all. And if you buy one, you want to buy the least house you can afford if, if building wealth is important. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... Well, actually, I have a post on, on that, too, titled How to Give Like a Billionaire. And yeah. How do you give like a... Well, well basically, I... I the Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah, I, well, not quite at that level, but... Um, a few years ago, I don't know how it's more than a few, I guess now, my wife and I established, uh, the JJ Collins, uh, charitable, uh, fund, which is with, uh, Vanguard. Vanguard has, uh, I'm drawing a blank on what they call the charitable, what do they call it? It's, anyway, it's a, it's where you can, you can donate a lump sum of money and then they in turn invest it. And you distribute it to the charities of your choice. Will you tell them a to trust? Dist- is it like a charitable it's trust? Kind of, it's kind of like a trust, and there's a term for it, Farnoosh, and I'm just that's okay. drawing a blank on what the term is. But as I say, I have a blog post that goes into it in depth. You make a lump sum donation, and you can make additional donations as you want to, to your charitable trust. And the beauty of that is that that is deductible in the year you make it. And... Last but not least, I'm Jim Collins. I'm so money because I know you've been thinking about this one for a while. Because I just wrote a book, Your Simple Path to Wealth. <laughs> Did you like writing the book? I mean, it's different than writing your, your blog, but... Gloria Steinem uh, was one, if I'm remembering correctly, was once asked that question if she liked writing. 
And her response was, I like having written. Yes. And that's my response. I, I find writing to be sheer drudgery and hard, hard work. I love the result. I love looking back on it and, and, and reading it and saying, hey, I, you know, that worked out pretty well. I kind of like that. But the actual process of writing, and if I'd known how much work this was for Anoush to do this book, which I've been working on for two and a half years, uh, and when I first started it, I, I, you know, I was predicting, ah, it'll be up by that Christmas. <laughs> yeah, right. Here we are, two and a half years. If I had any idea how much work it, it was going to take, I wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. But I, I love the fact that I've done it. I, the process, yeah, not so much. I've heard that quote before. I didn't know who it was attributed to. You say it's Gloria Steinem. I'm pretty sure. I just Googled it. I think some people are saying it's Dorothy Parker. Well, it could could I be. Know. I also heard it might have been somebody else. So it's a good quote. No wonder people are borrowing right. it. It's a and good it, quote. It, it makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah, it may be that I heard Gloria Steinem say it at one point. Right. Just like somebody's going to hear me say it on this interview. And say, Jim Collins had a brilliant statement. Yeah. Um, completely agree with you and encouraging all us listeners to check out your new book. Jim, thank you so much. Everyone check out jlcollinsnh.com. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Have a great book launch and hope to have you back sometime soon. I, I would enjoy it. It's been, it's been an honor talking to you. Thanks a lot to my guest, Jim Collins, author of The Simple Path to Wealth. His website, again, is jlcollinsnh.com. If you missed any of this, want the transcript, want the audio, leave a comment, head over to somoneypodcast.com where you can get all of those things. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. I know you've got a money question. It can be a small question. It can be an elaborate question. It can be a thought or question about career, the show, guests. I want to hear from you. I love hearing from you. So send me that through the Ask Farnoosh tab over at somoneypodcast.com and hopefully we'll connect soon. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.